you're busy taking selfies in the cockpit, chances are you're not going to see a flock of birds flying or even a single bird, you know, uh, we have that kind of stuff or an antenna or a power line or any of those things. You're listening to the Rotary Wing Show, a show for helicopter aircrew by helicopter aircrew. Each episode, we travel the world to hear from the people that fly and support helicopters to learn a little bit more about their stories and pick up some tips along the way. If you want to catch up on past shows or see photos from the interviews, head over to rotarywingshow.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Just search for Rotary Wing Show and get future episodes direct to your phone. I'm your host, Mick Cullen. G'day. Welcome back to the podcast where we get to hang out, talk helicopters, and uh, cover off some of the topics that touch on, on our flying. I'm working with Jack from uh, Griffith Uni on a student work placement at the moment. What we've got Jack building is a, an online training package that pilots will be able to go through before coming in for their two-yearly flight review. That is going to become part of his assessment towards his aviation degree, but it, equally it gives those in the Australian pilot community a way to brush up on, on common areas where people's knowledge starts to drop off in between checks. And it's pretty natural if you're not using or recalling, say, a, a set of, of air law frequently or practicing a particular skill, then we all get rusty. The CASA Part 61 Manual of Standards, or the, the MOS, outlines the knowledge in the different practical units to be covered in a flight review. But when it comes to choosing what to put in and actually include in the, in the online pre-flight review training, it becomes a bit of an exercise in, in scoping it down so that we don't end up with this huge multi-hour long course that people won't end up actually uh, using or, or doing. So one of the places we looked to for ideas was the Australian Transport Safety Bureau crash investigations to sort of see why people have been crashing helicopters and try and uh, lean off of that in terms of what content to use. And the ATSB also publishes their safety watch items, which are the top eight areas of concern in the transport industry here in Australia. It turns out that the NTSB in the US has something similar, which they publish called the Most Wanted List. Today, we get to learn a little bit more about number one on, on that list. To take us through it, we are lucky enough to get some of Kimberly Hutchings' time as she rehashes some of the content from talks that she's given to uh, the CHC Safety Forums and other events. Kim is from Campbell in Texas, USA. It's about an hour drive northeast of Dallas. Ask Kim to, to give us a bit of more on her background and how she got started in this area of aviation. So that'll kick in shortly. After the interview, though, I've got a favour to ask to see if I can get you on board to help me target a particular person to come on as a, as a future guest. So my husband and I own a longline training company. Um, he's He's the longline pilot and specializes in the training and the operations side of things. I uh, run the business side, but on top of that, my background is also in um, psychology and human factors and safety systems. Uh, that's what my master's degree is in, and I'm uh, completing a second master's degree in organizational behavior and leadership. So my goal there is to continue to educate the helicopter industry on leadership skills, human factors. And with that being said, I, I focused on focus 
and also emotional intelligence. And I go through that with the pilots that attend our course. I give presentations at safety conferences and summits, um, and I work with leadership, the management and leadership in helicopter companies. And we'll come back to, I guess, the distraction side of things, because one of your notes there, I had a look through and it said, I jumped on the NTSB website. In Australia's got something mm-hmm. similar with our ASDP. They have a safety watch of their, their top things that uh, cause accidents. And we often use it with students, and especially with flight reviews, is that it's very rarely is it actually handling mistakes once people have got their license. It's normally some kind of decision mistake. And the very top one mm-hmm. for the uh, NTSB there was, uh, I guess, around that distractions. And that was all sort of industries. It wasn't just an aviation thing. So that's, you know, I guess you're tying in with, that focus there too. Right. So it just seemed that I was noticing more what it seemed like more and more helicopter accidents. So I just started thinking, you know, what is causing that? Are we actually experiencing more helicopter accidents or, you know, is it reporting? So I went to the NTSC website and I was looking uh, for distractions or looking on there and I found that um, distractions have been the uh, on the most wanted list since 2013. So it's been a long time. And it initially started with cars uh, and it's moved in more into the aviation as an issue. So um, that's where I started focusing on that. Before we get to that though, you did your psychology degree first up. Is that when you started doing your own flying? When I started doing my own flying, I was finishing up my psychology degree, I thought I was going to get a job as a pilot and work as a pilot while I was pursuing a PhD in psychology. My love of aviation, I kind of decided I was looking for something in aviation psychology. So that's where I found uh, Embry-Riddle that they do, you know, human factors and safety systems. And so I pursued a master's degree in that And I also interned at the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board. And that's where I really started getting into uh, safety, the safety side of things. And early on uh, in my flying career, I lost two people extremely close to me. So that's where I, I was really adamant about pursuing safety, the safety side of things. So you had a, that sort of personal connection to what actually happens when, when it goes wrong? Yes. All right. Well, how we, I guess, got onto this is, is one, uh, Andre, way back in episode 13, actually came on, yeah, your husband, and talked about the long lightning. Uh, so I had a connection mm-hmm. with you guys since then. But, yeah, the uh, photos came up in the social media feed of, uh, I think it was the CHC Safety Conference that you went and spoke at. Yes. And mm-hmm. yeah, off right. the back of that, I thought, hey, it'd be great rather than, you know, have a, a clothes shop where your message only gets to a few people if we can try and leverage off that and, and spread the word a bit more. So yeah, let's break into it. How big a problem is distraction? Well, when I started researching it, the more that I research it, the more that I realize uh, it's a significant problem. Like I said, I uh, had interned at the NTSB before and when an when an accident report is written up it's fo- it's you focus on the facts 
And so when you pull up an accident report, usually, or, you know, it references pilot didn't pre-flight, do an adequate pre-flight, what we're not addressing, and that's usually what's found to be at fault, something along those lines. But what what we're missing here is um, the distraction piece of it, that the pilot may have been interrupted or something happened there. So, for example, in my presentation, I have a case study there. It's an NTSB report, and the pilot was doing his pre-flight. A passenger came up and asked him a question and interrupted him, totally distracted him. He went back to his pre-flight, but he missed releasing one of the levers that was securing the helicopter on um, a helipad, a movable helipad. And he had, when they took off, he had, they had a dynamic rollover. So when you read that report, it's saying inadequate pre-flight, but what we're not addressing is that distraction. And if we do, we're, we're, we may not be addressing it in the best way. So then we go back, let's say, for example, okay, now we come up with a safety rule. Okay, no passengers out in the pre-flight area. But what we're not addressing is the distraction piece of it. It could be any distraction. It could be the the fueler that comes up and fuels and talks to um, the pilot. So you can't keep the fueler off the flight line. You might be able to keep the passenger, but there's there's going to be a distraction. It could be his phone went off. It could be that his Apple Watch buzzed and a text came through. The, the fact of the matter is we're not addressing the distraction as much as we are just looking for the root cause as far as what happened. Well, he didn't release the, you know, the lever on the attachment, you know, to the helipad. So then we, like I said, we go back and we look for, okay, now we won't put the lever on or we won't keep let the passenger out there. And we totally overlook the fact that we need to address the distractions on a whole, not just on an individual thing. Otherwise, that makes we, sense. we get to the situation where we have so many rules that uh, it's hard to actually then go on and remember them and apply them. So what you're doing is saying is going back upstream and uh, trying to find like a root cause. Right. So we can exactly, that's exactly the thing. We just, we keep coming up with more rules and regulations, but in this in this time, in this society where we are, we are never, I mean, we are so distracted all the time. Um, we have so much content being pushed on us all the time that our brains are busy all the time. So we're very susceptible to distractions. And if we don't start addressing, and we, we say human factors, if we don't start addressing the human and what's going on with the fact that we are just naturally distracted all the time, just based on society, we can we can can continue to come up with as many safety rules as we want. You know, you have to do this, you have to do that, but there's still going to be another distraction the next day. So we need to start addressing the human side of things and what's going on with us as far as allowing ourselves to be so distracted. Okay, there's one of your slides here I love. It basically talks about comparing different modes of transport and which one helicopter flying is most like. So do you want to go through that and sort of, um, yeah, we'll bring that into the story there in terms of 
<laughs> the types of distraction we deal with and what we're most what other transport we're most similar to right so in the presentation we go through um and i the question is what is a helicopter most similar to a a commercial airline or aircraft a cruise boat a train or a car and in the past i generally have people say a natural response is an airplane and really, if we stop and think about it and we break that down, the pilots in the commercial aircraft are in a secluded cockpit. They have a sterile cockpit usually when they're doing their pre-flight. The passengers are in the back. You have flight attendants handling everything to do with the passengers, what's going on with them, questions. In the cruise ship, something similar. The pilot, the cruise ship captain is completely isolated and the same thing with the train. Therefore, we're helicopters need to be considered they're most like a car um you have passengers that are right sitting right behind you like a car you have activity going on you have passengers talking to you you have them excited taking pictures looking out the window waving taking selfies it's a very active environment just as a car would be we also so that's going on inside the cockpit then outside you think of a car when you're driving you have you know, people that can come into your lane. You can have, you know, birds fly by that you're not expecting. You've got to look out for obstacles all the time because we're low. So similar to a car, you know, where people on a bike could step out in front of you or right out in front of you. Um, someone can come into your lane. So it's, we have to have an immediate reflex to, to respond to that and be on the lookout all the time as you would in a car. Okay. So where to next then, I guess, or is it different types of distractions or how do we, how do we uh, step that forward? So moving forward, we need to, um, that, to realize that we are in a time of distractions and how are we going to start addressing that as far as the helicopter community, uh, which means, you know, there's there's certain things that during this presentation, um, some of the participants spoke up and said that, you know, they have no cell phone policies during certain times. The cell phones are, you know, put away. The electronic, personal electronic devices, I know we bring a lot of times now we're bringing iPads into the cockpits. We just have to uh, start addressing the fact that we're distracted and one of those things, again, going back is addressing the human, the person is something of a practice called mindfulness. It's not necessarily meditation. It's just the practice of being mindful and paying attention to what you're doing. This is something that you can practice daily. It only needs to be, you know, five minutes a day. It's not something that you need to do for long periods of time. And it's like building a muscle, but it keeps you focused. So let's say you were doing a pre-flight and someone comes up to you uh, and interrupts you. If you practice something called mindfulness, it helps your brain it's be able to go back to where you started from. It, it, it remembers things better. It's like a muscle. It builds that muscle. Okay, so let's talk about that and then come back to uh, a few of the things because I know in Australia just in terms of road rules and, and the focus for road safety, 
uh, so over the years the, the mobile phone thing has just been ramping up and now there's you know the where it used to be sort of fatigue and things like that if you picture a mm-hmm. road safety ad it's, it's about mobile phones and definitely the the fines and things like that have really ramped up in the last couple of years so i think like we talk about that as carving out big areas of, of focus but before we do that if we yeah if we stick back on the mindfulness thing obviously yeah there's different meditation uh, things and there's lots of I guess there's more more research out there. But, yeah, is, is there any specific aviation research with mindfulness? So, yes, there was a study that was done in Norway on um, two military helicopter units, and they did some mindfulness training to, to, te- to check physiological stress responses. And checking the mental demands on challenging tasks such as, you know, military operations during periods of high workload. And they are finding that there is some correlation there that with this mindfulness training that that the pilots are better able to focus and respond to those uh, demands a lot better. So with that study... How did they go about it? Did they have a control group, a second group? Uh, what were they measuring to sort of come up with the, the difference between the groups? Yeah, so there was a control group, um, and then they had the the group that was having mindfulness training, and they measured their cortisol levels and how they were responding. And the group that w- had the mindfulness training did respond better to demands and workload as far as their cortisol level wasn't as high. So for a no-go go situation, they were able to react to that without raising that level of stress. All right. And in terms of if you wanted to practice that in your daily life, uh, you know, someone's listening to this and they're heading off to, to work for their helicopter job, what, what were they, how can you start sort of exercising that muscle? I would recommend starting just one minute at a time. I know that doesn't seem long, but when you start at the very beginning, you'll find out just how distracted you really are as an individual. If you set a timer for 60 seconds, majority of people, and I've gone through this exercise many, many, many times, I've never had one person sit there for 60 seconds the first time and not think about something else while they were supposed to just be focusing on maybe a noise in the background. It can be the hum of the air conditioning unit. And everyone has said at that to this point that they have thought of other things, whether it's I'm hungry is 60 seconds up. There's some intrusive thoughts that are coming on. So I would recommend starting with 60 seconds, set a timer for 60 seconds and just see if you can sit there. You just want to focus on, like I said, maybe a hum in the background or a bird chirping. It doesn't have to be anything. You don't have to have a mantra or anything. You just focus on that one sound or object. And the goal is to not have, think of a million other things. And that's where you just build from that. So you can do it eventually. You can do it anywhere uh, on your drive to work. It's, just the act of paying attention. As we know, when you're distracted, how many times have you maybe passed an exit on your way home? You know where to go, but you're just so deep in thought in other things that you totally miss your exit. I think we've all done that a time or two and have to 
go back. So the point of that is you can just uh, try it in your car. Uh, you know, the whole act is paying attention, not thinking about all the millions of other things you need to be doing as you're driving. So you're just focusing on the car in front of you, what's going on, what the temperature is. It's just being completely aware. And that's all that mindfulness is. So, for example, it goes back to your pre-flight. It's being present and completely focused on what you're doing when you're pre-flighting, not thinking four steps ahead or what you need to be doing or, you know, checking your phone. It's just being completely present in the moment. And that's what we need to start doing more of. I know there's one exercise that I always have trouble with because I so exactly get distracted. There's nothing that's on the lines of just trying to count your breaths. So take slow breaths for 10 breaths and, and basically count after 10. And uh, yeah, I know I'll often start counting and then uh, I'll be thinking about something and realize I haven't actually finished off my 10 breaths. So that might be uh, yeah. something along those things. Exactly. In the US, I think you guys have some rules around sterile cockpit uh, times where they're supposed to be sterile cockpit. Do you, can you recall those sorts of things and talk maybe a little bit about that concept of, of sterile cockpit? Unfortunately, you know, there's not a whole lot of rules as far as sterile cockpit in the helicopter side of things. And if you, the, the scary thing is when I was putting this presentation together, because I had seen just on my own Facebook feed pictures of pilots taking selfies. And so I just, out of curiosity, when I was, like I said, putting this presentation together, I all I had to do was Google helicopter selfie. And it's amazing how many photos come up. And so when you start thinking about that and what's going on, uh, there's these are the ones that, you know, made it online. Think of everyone's phones and cameras that they have going on. But you can see how much is going on in a helicopter cockpit. So a lot of times, you know, we can have the isolation button when we're speaking to the tower that we can, you know, isolate that to speak with the tower, but it doesn't mean that there's not stuff going on in the background all the time um, when you're, when you're flying passengers and it doesn't even have to be a tour operation. It's just passengers in general. They're, they're talking a lot of times they're excited in a helicopter. So it's very hard I think to maintain a sterile cockpit in a helicopter, it, it's just, it's too intimate in there. So. All right. And we got some more case studies in, obviously the, there's a whole, you know, don't text and drive type road campaigns uh, for us here. Uh, have you got a couple of other case studies in terms of where the accident was directly linked to mobile phone usage? Yeah. So again, um, Going online, you can. There's all kinds of uh, accidents related directly to texting and driving. There was a woman that was posted a selfie, a Facebook selfie, and then within the next minute, she had hit a tree and it, you know, it killed her. But they had, when they investigated the story um, accident, they had seen that looking at her timeline, she basically posted and then hit the tree and a distraction in 2.7 seconds increases your air rate or by three times. So you think about that distraction, all it takes is 2.7 seconds and you're completely distracted and it takes 13 seconds to 
come back from an interruption. And what's the what's the drive? They talk about dopamine things like that, but from the the psychology side of things, what's the studies and I guess the um, some of the understanding there about what drives us to sort of pick up the phone or or uh, have that kind of yeah pull to to be distracted. Right. So Facebook and Apple and all these people they're very smart. They hire very smart psychologists, and so they they realize the pull on on our brains and basically what's happening in our brain is that we have dopamine loops and they are, they are reward seeking. So when we get a little ding or a little, you know, buzz that we have a message, that's a reward. Our brains love that feeling. And the second part of that is, the anticipation. So we, we, when we don't know when we're going to get the text, it's even, and it shows up, it's even more exciting and it makes our brains even more happy. And so we have this dopamine that releases um, and gives us a little happy feeling. So we become addicted to that. Um, it's just like an addiction. That's why people can't put their phones down. Um, they're checking it all the time. And ads and Facebook and all this is created to keep that pull on you. And so we have to be really aware how much uh, we're picking up our phones and that it's not just, we just want to check. It's, it's literally chemicals in our brain that keep us addicted to that feeling of, and that's why when people post pictures or post something on, you know, social media, it, the excitement and anticipation builds of, you know, how many likes did I get? Who's looking at my picture or whatever I posted that we love that feeling. We like to be surprised. We love that anticipation and it's addictive to us. And that's why we continue to do it over and over again. And that's why now they have things called digital detox. It literally is a detox. You, got, you have to put that phone away. And a lot of times if you're Forced to put a phone away in a meeting or something. I mean, I think we've probably all experienced that to some level too, that urge to pick up that phone and you know you can't or it's, you know, you left it at home and it's almost, you know, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do without my phone? That feeling, it's very addictive to us. And so, again, that's where, you know, we have to be mindful of that, you know, in our industry and in our operations and what we do every day is be aware that we have that inclination, we have that desire to pick up that phone or check that message or whatever. And um, so we need to protect ourselves from ourselves. And again, going back to that is practicing mindfulness so that when we are doing something, we're not distracted and we can focus, actually focus on what we're doing. Yeah, and I think especially the helicopter industry, because a lot of our tasking is so ad hoc and changes, I can't think of too many uh, people with helicopter pilots or crew or even operations now who wouldn't, in a, in a normal daily you know work cycle, be absolutely wedded to their phone because things are changing. Um, I, I think that genie's out of the bottle in terms of it's going to be very, very hard to, to wind back uh, mobile phone usage just because whether it's cancelling SAR times or... Uh, you know, you're waiting somewhere for the, the client to change their details and, and get ready for the pickup. Uh, so I, th I think 
that's just going to stick there. So it's going to have to be a skill we sort of build up on how we incorporate the, the mobile phone uh, usage. But is, is there any good guidance? Like I know there's good guidance out there, but you know, in cars, you put your phone in the, in the boot and things, which are, is all great, mm-hmm. but there's not going to be many people who are actually going to go and, and do those things. And I think I shared a few, um, I can't remember if it was on email or not, that, yeah, you know, previously I've had someone come into a flight review and they they took a phone took a phone call on their Bluetooth headset while we we're actually out doing a, a, a flight review, and that for that person that was completely normal. They didn't think anything different of being out on a flight review with an instructor and accepting a mobile phone call. So obviously that they're doing that in their own flying normally. Uh, how mm-hmm. like uh, it, how do we change that kind of perception of of what's acceptable and what isn't in terms of that message? Right, and you're exactly right. The cell phones and electronics in the cockpit are not going away. It's where we're going. We rely on those again, you know, to check whether we're using some either their phones or sometimes iPads for GPS purposes, flight tracking, all that sort of stuff. So they're not going away. But I think because of that, and we need to be extremely aware of what dangers lie in the fact that we have these devices with us because even though we may be using them to check the weather uh, for our flight operations in the meantime we're also checking for text or messages or who's posted on Facebook so I think the key there is education as much as we can uh, educate people as far as what's actually happening When I give this presentation uh, to the pilots that go through our course, it's the education piece and explaining to them how distracted their brains really are. And when I do the 60-second exercise with them of mindfulness, they become blatantly aware that they are distracted all the time. So the best that we can do at this point is education on what's happening, how distracted we are, what the dangers of that are and not in the sense of the way that we've been doing it all along for all these years is we know distractions are dangerous for us we're very aware of that but we need to really educate the the part about the addiction piece of just that dopamine release in our brains and start educating people and also start practicing mindfulness to a certain extent like I said it doesn't have to be some extensive thing but just uh, allowing people or teaching people about mindfulness and that there is something to help stay focused when you're pre-flighting or, you know, in situations where you're going into a new area and you really just need to be completely focused on what you're doing. So the key there, I'd say, again, is just education. With it then, can we talk about how the brain works in terms of processing and what the physical throughput limitations are of the brain and how that sort of distraction uh, works against that. Uh, I don't know this is the sort of stuff right. you cover in, in basic human factors, but yeah, if we just rehash the fact that, uh, you know, we're sitting here talking and things like that, but there's a, there's a lump of meat that's actually doing the, uh, the electrical connections. Right. So some of that is, um, and we've heard this about multitasking. We, 
I think now people are catching on to the fact that we, we can't actually multitask. It seemed like several years ago it was, oh, I can multitask, and the more I can multitask, the better. And it was like, yeah, you know, I'm really good at multitasking, and I still hear that a bit today, but not as much. We're realizing that your brain, you can't actually do two things that require your attention at once. Your brain will defer to what it thinks is more important. And an example of that is most of us have been driving cars for many, many years. We've, uh, we've been talking since birth, and it doesn't even have to be, I'll say it doesn't even have to be on the phone. I do give that example a lot, but somebody could be sitting in the passenger seat beside you, and if you're going into a new area, you're driving down the, the highway, and um, you're not quite sure where you're going, and you're having a conversation with your passenger next to you, you will stop listening to that person next to you so that you can focus on where the exit is or how much further or you need to change lanes to get off the off ramp and just pay attention that to that the next time if you're driving and unfortunately if you are on the phone or just having someone there in the car with you going into a new area or needing to change lanes and get over so you can get off the highway, you will stop talking. So that's the whole point of we cannot do two things at once. So again, going back to just focusing, being aware of the limitations of our brain. So we have that going on. We have the limitations. We can't multitask. And then we also have that that piece that, you know, we're, our minds are busy all the time that combination is not good for us. Yeah. And it comes back to the consequences too. So, you know, if you, if you're turning the radio down so you can try and look for street numbers as you're, as you're coming to a house exactly. you're not familiar with. And I guess the worst thing that's going to happen is you, you know, you're at that point you're traveling at slow speed on a road type thing, but uh, it's, I guess it's the distraction that, as you said, you know, a couple of seconds of distraction and in a, in a lowly flying helicopter, you're traveling a lot of distance uh, in that couple of seconds. So I guess it comes back to the the consequence uh, and the exposure and all in all sort of risk control type things. Right. So exactly. And that goes back to the argument that the helicopter is more is similar to a car. Just being distracted. You know, we're looking for birds all the time. We're looking for wires all the time. We're looking for, you know, things, towers antenna towers, things that we may not see immediately. If you're busy taking selfies in the cockpit, chances are you're not going to see a flock of birds flying or even a single bird, you know. Uh, we have that kind of stuff or an antenna or a power line or any of those things. So, Okay, well, I think it's just a, yeah, it's a, a good chance just to have that uh, refresher, I guess. So we often just get super busy just in the day-to-day job. Uh, and sometimes it's just useful to have, you know, a bit of a, a spotlight shined occasionally on, on some of those things we have faded into the background that are definitely causes of accidents that are, are waiting out there to catch us. Yeah, Kim, I think it's just useful and, and talk like this that you give, just sort of, yeah, focus without being too punny, uh, our attention back on how easy it is to, to lose focus. Right, exactly. Do you want to give a quick update? Because obviously, we, back in um, 
episode 13, we got a little bit of an update. I think at that stage, you guys hadn't quite kicked off Follow Mission. At that stage, it was something that was just about to start. Uh, so can you mm-hmm. give us an idea of, yeah, what, what does the range look like there at the moment in terms of facilities and, and the the actual, uh, I guess, the park in terms of the different loads and, and area, training areas that you've got? Right. So we have 60 acres of land out here where we've set up a series of exercises it starts out in the open with rings and as you increase your skill level the load the rings get smaller as far as when I say rings I'm talking about ring on the ground and you you place the hook or whatever inside that ring then you move into more into the trees it just gets tighter and tighter in the trees then we have different loads we have a four-wheeler so you're working with uh, loads with tires, careful not to pop the tires. We're working with a medical litter, a Bambi bucket. One of the final things is placing an air conditioning unit on bolts. That's pretty much the graduation level. The last thing that you'd be doing going through the course. So it's pretty extensive. It's 20 hours of flight time, just really getting as many hook shots as possible, building that precision from um, the very, very beginning. So pilots come to us with no experience a lot of times, no long line experience, I should say, or they're coming to us who've been out of it for a while and they need to get that skill level back up to par. So um, we just start from scratch and just build, build, build that precision. And so if someone wants to do their private license or something, it's like you're not doing any other training, it's just dedicated long line training. Yes, that's correct. We are exclusive, uh, completely devoted to the external load, long line industry. We're doing seminars. We speak at safety conferences. We'll be at Heli Expo uh, next year, January 2020. We, we are here to support, educate, help the long line external load industry. And that's all that we do. Work with companies, help them train their staff, uh, help them find good longline pilots. They come to us asking who's gone through our course. Uh, do, they ha- do we have any recommendations for them? Same thing, we have pilots come to our course. More oftentimes than not, we're able to connect them with a longline company that may be hiring. That's what we're there for. Okay, and that's Volo Mission. And yeah, if anyone's interested, you can check out uh, volomission.com. It's a- She's got a really nice looking website with the photos of uh, of what you guys are up to. Okay, <laughs> yeah. in terms of if we just uh, I guess leave off on on uh, mindfulness, uh, I was joking when I was saying this that you know it's, it's going to be a fairly tough audience in terms of trying to talk about a. Uh, and, and elsewhere, you talk about emotional intelligence as well. But uh, and, and you message back that you know you've had some pretty uh, pretty uh, blokey, uh, and it's pretty a, a bad. Um, <laughs> I don't know, a, a wrap-up of it. But, yeah, how, how have, when you presented this in person, what sort of feedback did you get and, and what sort of, uh, well, two things, yeah, what sort of feedback did you get from those audiences and what, what would the, the audience make up? And if someone was interested in more of the, the mindfulness stuff in terms of, you know, improving their daily flying, do you have any resources you normally point people towards? So uh, to answer the first part of the question, honestly, when I started these two topics, giving presentations on these two topics, I was prepared for the tomatoes to be thrown at me on, on stage. Um, and, but 
but honestly, I have had time and time and time and time again, people coming up to me afterwards going, oh my gosh, you know, I work with someone that needed more emotional intelligence or how do I handle people? So there's that side of things where they're just very receptive. They give me examples of what's happened where they've seen people not getting along in the cockpit due to lack of emotional intelligence. And as far as the focus, distractions and mindfulness, it's a different, I present a different perspective on the distraction piece than what we normally have been taught in um, when we're going through aviation or just in our safety management. And so to give them the background on the brain and what's happening in today's society and what's going on there, they're very receptive to that. They, you know, when I go through and give them the, do the mindfulness piece, they become very aware of how distracted they are. So I get very positive feedback on all of that. Um, I even had the president of a big, massive construction company um, in Northern California that came to my presentation this past year at HAI. And I was talking about the distractions and our Apple watches on, a, you know, that we have, and we don't think about that. You know, we might look down at it. And so they had a helicopter. He was there because they had a helicopter um, unit in their construction company. Somebody came up to me afterwards and said, did you know, because of your presentation, he no longer wears an Apple watch when he's, you know, working. Uh, That was the president of a massive construction company. So it's making an impact. Excellent. And and look, the thing that really stood out when I initially went through the slides was that comparison to a car, because I know driving, you know, with my kids in the car, as soon as I put the car into reverse, they start asking me questions. And I just think <laughs> yeah. there's so many times that just driving is just an absolute disaster sometimes with uh, with my kids because they're just, you know, in terms of attention and things like that. So, but being able to, to picture that and then step that into an aircraft when you've got, you know, a couple of people on board and there's a whole heap of stuff happening, I just found that was really a useful sort of analogy for me. So, yeah, that was, that was great. Good. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much again for, for sharing that with folks. And uh, they can yeah find you all over the place because you obviously do um, talks and that, and you'll be at Heli Expo. Uh, but uh, your own mm-hmm. website there was, yeah, kimhutchings.com. And I'll put yes. links for yes. know, things in, in the show notes. Uh, is there anything else you want to leave folks with? Anything you found just you know useful going through flying or as you're sort of c- combining the psychology stuff with the flying that we haven't already covered? No, I think the big thing is that we start being uh, aware, especially as safety managers or, you know, um, somebody that might be listening or even pilots, everyone, fuelers, everyone involved, ground crew, that there is a a problem that we're facing with distractions and that when we encounter something to look a little bit past the obvious, didn't do an adequate pre-flight or forgot to put the fuel cap back on and think back to what what actually happened at that moment and, and just really start paying attention and to how much we're not paying attention, I guess is the thing. Um, and not just look at the obvious, you know, especially when we're, you know, doing risk analysis or re- accident reviews or anything is just to, to see how it might link back to a distraction um, and just really pay attention because, we are not slowing down society 
we're way past that. We're not slowing down. So what we need to do as individuals is slow our thinking down a bit and our processing and pay attention. We've just stopped paying attention. We get so much information all the time that we're actually learning how to block information out because there's so much and it's not relevant. So we start blocking stuff out. So the more that we're aware of what's happening in this day and age, society, what's happening with us, the better. It will help us. We've got photos up in the blog post for this episode if you want to put a, a face to the voice for, for Kimberly. Kimmy's regularly out talking at different helicopter gigs, so if you do bump into her, uh, you know, please let her know that you heard her here on the podcast. The other way, if you want to be part of the conversation or to share a story of your own about distractions or to ask Kim any questions, then there is the, the comments section on the bottom of the blog post for this episode at rotarywingshow.com. You can reach me on email at feedback at rotarywingshow.com and pass through a question for, for Kim or for any of the, the past guests. There are links on the, on the blog post, but if you uh, want to see more of the, the longline training school that Kim and Andre operate, uh, you can head over to volomission.com. That's spelt V-O-L-O, mission. At the, at the top of the episode, I mentioned Jack was working on our, on our school's online pre-flight uh, or basically pre-flight review training package. If that was something you wanted to be a, a crash test dummy for and to help uh, test drive or give any feedback on, then again, hit me up on email or jump on the, the Facebook page for the show, Rotary uh, Wing Show, just do a search on Facebook and send us a message through there. I can hook you up with that. What's coming up on the podcast? I'm working on a interview focused around culture. Uh, so we'll look at getting that done shortly. And there should be one also coming about uh, you know, converting uh, international licenses uh, to an FAA license and what's required and the steps uh, you go through for that. Been given a tip, someone to uh, can cover off really well against uh, marine pilot transfer ops. So we'll uh, chase that up, and I'm also trying to catch uh, Jan Becker, who has been or has recently taken over the international chair for HAI. Now there, there is someone in particular that I'm targeting though, and I'm looking for either some online crowd support from you if you're listening and, and game for it, or possibly uh, you never know the connections out there, but maybe he's got a someone can give a, a personal introduction. So Dave Burke is actually a, an ex-Top Gun instructor rather than a, a helicopter guy. But I probably mentioned before that I'm a big Jocko Willink fan and I've tried to incorporate some of his approaches into our flight school. So for example, we've got our two uh, Cabri G2 aircraft and they've got stickers on the front. So one of them is uh, discipline and then the other machine has a, a big freedom sticker on, on the front of the machines. So Dave works alongside uh, Jocko and he would be a, you know, an awesome person to, to, to get on, to go through a lot of their leadership principles and to be able to back it up with, you know, aviation examples and an aviation context. You know, I'd be super keen to, to get that done. So here's what you've uh, got to do if, you, if you're keen and, and on board with that. The company website is called echelonfront.com and you can either go to the, the team page and click on Dave Burke there to, to get his social media handles and message him uh, that way or you can send an email to info at echelonfront.com asking for Dave Burke to, to come on this podcast and you'd love to hear him talk about aviation leadership. So the website is echelonfront.com. That'd be awesome and I'd hugely appreciate that. That'd be really interesting, especially just to be able to drill down uh, on, 
all that side of the content, but a practical sort of aircrew level side. Talking appreciation, the following people, you rock. <laughs> Thank you so much for chipping in to, to cover some of the, the cost for hosting the episodes and the website. Uh, AJ, Chris, Eric, Gareth, Hell, Heath. Uh, Heath's actually been supporting since about August 2017 to the tune now of uh, about $180. Uh, Jack, Jake, uh, Jason, John, Kevin, Kirillin, Mark, Michael, Peter, Rendell, Shannon, and Tony. Thank you. That's it. I hope you got something out of that. And you know, think about the distractions common between a, a car full of passengers and your, your next helicopter flight. Looking forward to catching up soon. Cheers. <laughs>